Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 78, Always Be My Maybe, from 2019. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today we have, Mike, we have poached a guest from our friend Brian Late Night Rodriguez. He had this woman on his podcast. We heard her passion. Talking about a movie, I might add, that is near and dear to our heart. She was on talking about a Nicolas Cage film. Yeah, the um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Peggy Sue Got Married. We're joined today by Kate Hudson. Hello, Kate. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for being here. So now I know that you do writing around the internet on high school movies and just sort of pop culture in general. Before we get into the heart of the matter, before we talk about Always Be My Maybe, can you let people know what you write about, where you write about it, where people can find more of your thoughts online? Oh, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. <laughs> I write for a site called Pajiba.com. I write... Gosh, I always forget my schedule. I'm Saturday through Thursday, I think. I'm not sure. Um, do, do you guys know? <laughs> I don't know. My guess is as good as anyone's. Well, I guess they should probably talk about a little bit about what I write about, which is, you know, I, I do high school movies, but I probably write about Con Air like once a month. Um, it's one of my favorite movies, so I'm really, really excited to be here with you guys as fellow Con Air fans. Oh, right, right, right. I forgot that when, when Brian sort of introed you to us that your big thing was well i can always talk about con air and i was like oh well we already did that but you know we could always talk about con air there's there's always more to talk about with con air but today we're talking about a i guess a keanu reeves movie it's it feels weird to call it that but we're here to talk about always be my maybe but again before we talk about that kate what is your history with keanu are you a huge keanu fan is it hit or miss how do you fall with mr keanu reeves who the internet has been in love with this year so I've been in love with Keanu since, gosh, I was, what, six? Six years old, I think. We had Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure on all the time in the background growing up. So I really feel like I grew up with Keanu, that he's my Hollywood spirit guide, if you will. But yeah, I absolutely love Keanu. I'm so glad that the internet has finally caught up to what, you know, we've always known here, I'm sure, is that Keanu is just, he's just fantastic. So this past week, there's been a whole meme, which we knew about for a while, but mm -hmm. there's the thing that Keanu Reeves does not touch women in photos. Um, so he's, his hand is always a couple inches away. So he's got that like sort of seeing the, the matrix through the code kind of thing, like knowing mm -hmm. this is only going to end poorly. So he stays away. So I like that he is, even in that regard, always safe to trust, one to trust. And also of importance, um, Ali Wong, who plays the, the lead in this, Sasha, had said that she had always had a crush on Keanu because she knew that he was Chinese American and he's got, you know, I think half or a quarter of his heritage is Chinese and so she's always sort of found him attractive in that way and she never forgot that and that's kind of why he wound up in this movie and we'll get into that later but I like that Kate both for you and for Ali Wong and for many of our listeners I would imagine Keanu never far from your heart do you have a favorite I mean is it is it Bill and Ted do you have a favorite movie of his oh no you're asking me what my favorite Keanu movie is I mean there's just so many to pick from that's so hard no wrong answers. Well, there, I guess there are wrong answers, but no wrong answers. <laughs> Hopefully it's not Generation Um. Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. You know what, guys? I gotta go with John Wick, the first one. That was just such a, like, new era of Keanu for us, and he he's just so good in it. Like, the action, and plus, you know, he looks good in it, too. So, yeah, John Wick. Okay, the first one? I mean, all of them are pretty good, but yeah, the first one is just, that's the one that kicked it all off, you know? Okay. As long as you get over that hump of what happens to the dog in the beginning, it's just amazing. Even if it's like kind of stupid, but it's great. Oh, I just, I mean, I love it. I, I don't even think it's stupid. I just genuinely love it for being, you know, killer and badass. And I think, you know, we're going to get to our John Wick 3 episode a little bit later this year when it hits VOD and Blu-ray, but I know that Mike and I have both seen it. And I'm assuming by the sound of what you said, you've seen it too. And I think we're all in agreement. It's a, it's a good movie, the new one. It's just, it's an amazing, it's turned into an amazing franchise. Like how many other franchises out there that are this sustainable, this consistently good, and just this entertaining. And as an added bonus, have Keanu Reeves in them. I mean, come on. Yeah. And as a little bit of a sneak teaser for anybody listening to this, Kate will be joining us in a couple episodes on Too Fast, Too Forever. In my opinion, the finest franchise going right now. But John Wick, Fast and Furious, who can really compare the two? They're both wonderful and perfect, and we're happy to talk about both of them. I totally agree. They're both amazing, and I'm really getting excited to come back to talk Fast and Furious with you guys. So Always Be My Maybe is a rom-com starring... 
Randall Park and Ali Wong. And also, you know, Mike, I my heart warmed a little bit, even though he's kind of a dick in this movie, to see Daniel Day Kim, to see Jin from Lost in this movie. I was so happy. That's right. Uh, right off the bat. I totally, <laughs> I only saw this uh, once a couple uh, days ago, but yeah, no, I wish he was in more of it for sure. Kate, did you watch Lost? I mean, your name is Kate. I mean, it's, you know, I feel like it's kind of the duty of anybody named Jack or Kate to have watched Lost, but did you watch Lost? I did. I, I did watch Lost. Kind of wish I didn't. Did you love it? Like, I like I do. I Mike, oh, you love it, sure. I think, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Fan. Kate, do you love it? Do you love it? Oh, I wanted to love it, but... I get it. It was just, it's the first couple of seasons were amazing, but then, like, the end just boned out, and I can't get over it. Like, they were all dead the entire time. That's one way to look at it. I get it. I get it. But, you know. Like, seriously, like, it just ends with him with the dog? I mean, come on! <laughs> It was all a big nothing burger. Like, they set up all of this mythology and, like, the smoke monster and, oh, the polar bear and, like, all of this, you know, crap. And then it's, like, nothing. Like, we just watch the show for nothing. It's all about just be nice to each other and the people you randomly are on a flight with. It's just, like, ugh. Like, seriously, that smoke monster could have been so cool. Fish biscuits. I don't want to get off on a tangent on Lost, but I think the reason that I lo- and the reason I was so happy to see Daniel Day Kim in this movie is because I never really like I was interested in the intrigue and the mystery and the cliffhangers and going from episode to episode. But what I really loved about that show were the characters, and I especially with the Daniel Day Kim character, Sun and Jin start off as like these like cold, distant, literally removed from the rest of the people because they don't speak the language, or we don't know. Spoilers for the first mm. season that Sun doesn't speak that Sun speaks language, but like they're isolated because of a language barrier. And then over the course of the show, you really get to love these characters and I think everyone on that show there's not a lot that they have gone on to do that I have you know I think most of what they those people have gone on to do I've not been super crazy about there's things here and there that I like you know Ant-Man and Ant-Man the Wasp Randall Parks and Ant-Man Wasp so oh yeah but I give everyone such a benefit of the doubt because I just love them from that show that much and even though Daniel Day Kim does not have a huge part in this I was very excited to see him in this movie just because I really I don't know if I've seen him since Lost I just you know I missed him some some of you haven't seen Hawaii Five O on CBS, and it really shows right now, guys. Oh, is that where? He's oh, been? I did. Very cool. I've 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 walked through the room when I was still living with my parents. I walked through the room while they were watching it, so I have seen him very briefly on TV. The poor guy. He hasn't gotten off the island. He's still making no, shows in he's Hawaii. Still there. Oh boy. Why would you want to leave? I guess, really, why would you want to leave? Yeah, and I guess the people that really shine off of Lost Joey turned out to be Lindelof, right, with his television career and stuff. With oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Like so it wasn't, My main didn't man. so much go the way of the actors, but the writers in that situation. Okay, well, you guys are leaving my man Artst out, and if you guys remember, he was like Matlock's sidekick in the early 90s, so I really think he's, he had, he came from far and he's gone far. <laughs> Was he really? Oh, <laughs> you got you got a little you got a little arsed on you. Yeah, I used to watch Matlock a lot as a kid. So as soon as I saw him pop up, I'm like, that's Matlock's sidekick. He is one of my favorite character actors of all time, for sure. Last scene really? of Black Rock in the middle of the jungle. I love that. So Kate, what did you think about Always Be My Maybe? Is this did you like this movie? Are are you into? I mean, I would assume based on your conversation with Brian about Peggy Sue that you like rom coms. But did you like this movie? Has a stack up to other rom coms of both recent and all time? Like, what are your initial thoughts on Always Be My Maybe? Oh guys, I went into this movie with such high expectations because I really do love rom coms. Like I really do. But this one was just like only okay for me, and I I feel bad about it because I really wanted to go in and love it, but it was just like it. Eh, it left me a little cold, to be honest. I think that's fine. I think we're all... I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mike, but I saw on Letterboxd, like, based on your words and, you know, my my thoughts and Mike's review... And based on the words that came out of my mouth, but... <laughs> exactly. It's all, like, I, I know that, you know, Danielle, who listens to the show, is a big fan of the show, that she and, you know, her boyfriend, John, they listen to Cage and Keanu, and I know that she loves this movie, and she was, like, getting me all hyped for this movie. I think the Keanu part is great because we love Keanu, but I think, aside from the representation, which I love, which I think that we need more of, I think, for the most part, it's just kind of a, it's a nice movie. It's, you know... It's not, like, The Big Sick makes me cry multiple times every time I watch it. And maybe that's because I love Kumail and Emily, but I don't know. But, like, there have been other rom-coms in recent years that, that really get me. And this one, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm less enthusiastic about it. I liked it, but you're, you're not alone, Kate. I think, I think I liked it. I think it's fine. I think it's good. I just, I, I kind of wish that I liked it a little bit more. Yeah, I'm right there with both of you, I think. Like, rom-coms aren't exactly my demo, my cup of tea 
like I don't hate him or anything. And I mean, Keanu's been in a bunch of them, leading and as a sort of cameo, a little Keanio or whatever. We haven't really <laughs> called it yet. But as far as they go, I think this one's fine. Like, it's totally, it's pleasant, you know? I mean, I didn't really uh, walk away from it remembering too much except the Keanu role and maybe the chef stuff. Like, I really I thought that was that was cool. It made me think of foodie films. Yeah, this is kind of a foodie films in disguise, like a low-key foodie films. Yeah, for sure. So, like, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense that this came out on Netflix to me and not, like, in theaters or anything. Like, it feels totally fine and, yeah. I had a hard time with this one because I like my rom-coms a little bit more, uh, less grounded in reality and this one was just like, ugh. Like, what was the deal with Marcus? Like, we're supposed to root for him, but like, she's just amazing. She's this amazing chef. She has so much going for her. And then he's just like this guy who lives at home with his dad wants to smoke pot all the time. We're supposed to root for that? I mean, no. Seriously. I was wondering if at times we were supposed to root for him to get with her, but I know it's, it's, it is the other way around. Like that, I mean, he obviously wants to be with her, but for the most part, she comes to this like epiphany that they were meant to be together the whole time after being with Keanu. Well, after he sort of outed as being a dick too. We sort of get destination wedding Keanu. I guess we'll get into it. It might have been provoked. It might just have been friendly guy sportsmanship. But uh, yeah, no, that that sort of threw me too a little bit. That I guess like you're saying, like it wasn't as big a fantasy as I was expecting it to be. Yeah, I mean, I just, I had a problem with the fact that these characters are supposed to be seen as equals. But I mean, she's, Sasha is just so clearly just more accomplished and has her stuff together more than Marcus. And we're supposed to root for them to come to this realization together. I think what doesn't do this movie any favors, and like everything you're describing, Kate, reminds me of Longshot, which, Mike, did you see Longshot yet or no, the new Charlie's movie? No, what was that, Flarkus or Flarsky? Flarsky. Kate, Kate, did you see Longshot yet or no? I did. So I think, again, very accomplished woman, pot-smoking loser, sort of out of his league, but I feel like, I know that's a different movie, it's a bigger budget, it's all sorts of different in like a lot of different ways, but I feel like that does this story these beats better and I feel like that relationship is more authentic and genuine and I like that movie more I feel like to have two movies that are so similar come out the same summer and like there's not like we don't get a ton of rom-coms I feel like anymore and I feel like I wasn't thinking about that movie while watching this one but now that we're talking about it now that you're describing literally the disparity between the characters in my mind at least and I want to hear what you think without spoilers to sort of keep Mike pure a little bit if you thought that movie did it better than this movie you know I'm just I'm just kind of sick of this story you know what I mean I I just I want these movies to be on more equal footing so I'm just like I said I'm just I'm sick of seeing the schlubby guy with the hot chick and the hot chick coming to the realization like oh no I'm the shallow one and this is true love I get it I get it I mean it's just like come on like Charlize Theron doesn't date Seth Rogen like Charlize Theron dates like Keanu Reeves you know what I mean Oh, believe me, believe me, that's all I want in real life and in movies, because they're both, uh, you know, apparently that Keanu rumor was untrue recently, but, you know, the fact that both she has said recently, and we thought for a minute, that he had said that they were both, like, painfully single and looking to date, like, hey guys, get together, like, we know that Winona and Keanu are kind of the, the one true pairing on screen, but, I mean, Charlize and Keanu are both beautiful people, I want them to make beautiful babies. Yeah, and, a, and, a, and better movies together, definitely. Yeah, like a John Wick Atomic Blonde crossover, like set it in the 90s or something, like a prequel to John Wick before he retires. Seriously, all you have to do is cut his hair a little and shave his beard, you know what I mean? And you've got like a Keanu that looks instantly 15, 20 years younger, I bet. <laughs> Dude, I love Keanu. I will see him in anything. He is just amazing. And I'm not just saying that because I have AMC A-list. <laughs> <laughs> All three AMC A-list, shout out AMC A-list, not a sponsor. Yet. That, well, and that one, that <laughs> one, just Keanu, Charlize, Keanu, Charlize, Keanu, Charlize. I was a diehard movie pass for like five years, like even before, like when it was 35 and $45 a month, and then they dropped it to 10 I was like, oh no, here, the beginning of the end, the end is nigh, and eh, I was right. That's neither here nor there. So I don't know if we should really talk about the movie itself, because I don't know that like, that's not really like what this podcast is about, but let's talk about the Keanu part that, you know, Sasha and Marcus grow up together. It feels like they should have kind of maybe had an on-again 
again, off again thing growing up. They don't. They have one night before college, and then they go their separate ways. She's incredibly successful. He lives at home and works for his dad. They reunite, sort of like, are they going to have a spark? She, unbeknownst to the audience, meets Keanu Reeves, and then he wel- he walks into a restaurant when they have a double date, and Marcus has his dreadlocked sort of Looney Tunes a little bit girlfriend there with him. And the emergence of Keanu Reeves in this movie is perfect. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say him entering to, what's that song called? Sail? Perfect. Perfect. And the slow-mo. Slow-mo is, oh, yeah. you know, not used sparingly, but perfectly. Yeah, Keanu, he's he's just getting better with age. He looked, ugh, that was, that was a great entrance. And so, you know, I, I had known that he was going to show up in the middle and be around for a couple scenes or whatever, and I was just still trying to figure out the puzzle in my mind of where he was going to show up, when he was going to show up, how he was going to, and... I thought for a second, and Kate, I don't know if you know about Keanu's dog star history, his his band. I, I assumed, but I didn't want to assume. I was thinking when they were they were auditioning for Southeast, like I thought it would have been really funny if he shows up as like, you know, again, sort of I guess a rival to Marcus, but that he was a rival for the music as opposed to the love. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's sort of it makes more sense within the context of the movie to be a boyfriend, a suitor, but when he finally showed up, I was like, Oh yeah, like this is now I get why the internet has been ablaze about this movie. I mean, look, I know I keep talking about it, but that man is beautiful. I just, I loved it how everybody was like, oh, Keanu. I just, I had to stop that scene and restart it because it was just so fun to watch him walk in. He's looking so good. <laughs> Here's a question I don't think we've ever asked any guests because I don't know if I have an answer. And Mike, maybe I want you to think about this too. What is, in your mind, the most attractive Keanu Reeves? Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. Like, peak hot Keanu Reeves is oh point break Johnny Utah come on he's he's oh yeah okay I guess like also like to, to use another Keanu phrase is that like when you think of Keanu Kate like you know to, to use the from the matrix like the residual self-image when he goes into the matrix and the plugs in his arms and his neck are gone and his hair is back and Morpheus is like this is what you think of yourself as when you think of yourself when you think of Keanu Reeves do you think of him in Point Break? Like, do you think of him in that era, or do you sort of have a different... When you hear the words Keanu Reeves, what pops into your brain? Oh, you know, I gotta go with Bill and Ted. Like, yeah, Ted. Like, that's just my first Keanu. That was a movie that I watched probably, gosh, like, once a week when I was a kid for a while. Like, that is my that is my Keanu right there. Okay. Mike, what about you? Do you have a... I know this is sort of a, a kind of a weird question, maybe, but do you, have a, do you have a sense of either what you think of... When you think of him, I guess mine is The Matrix, because that's where I first... Like, kind of the reason we're doing this podcast is because of how much I love The Matrix, and I know how much you love The Matrix. So I think I sort of think of him in that movie. What do you think of first, and what do you... Do you have a most attractive <laughs> Keanu Reeves? This is like... <laughs> Kate, this is like... This is clickbait right here. Just like, you know, a podcast recently talked about the most attractive Keanu Reeves. Like, this is your brain... This is your inspiration, your keanu inspiration for the week. Like, growing up, I definitely, you know first saw him in Bill and Ted I always I always picture him with long hair that's the weirdest thing but I think some of I mean you know look as a secure straight guy I'll just come out and say it I think him with the speed sort of shaved close like that when you can see like his whole face um, like he just takes on a whole new presence and I think that there's like a different energy or like a different sort of something behind that the lack of that hair but when I would just when I instantly think of Keanu I just I do think of sort of like that Ted or that John Wick without a beard, just always default long hair down to his chin or something. You know, I think the most attractive one to me is Ortiz the dog boy era. <laughs> I think him in, in full dog costume, just hair just, all it's, over. it's too good. Just full on hair suit. It's too good. Did you guys just make a freaked reference? I sure did. I'm really impressed there. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I think, you know, I, I gotta, I think just, I think he rocks the long hair better than a lot of dudes. I gotta give it up to, like, John Wick era, where he's, like, a little bit more rugged. Especially, like, also, the John Wick era into kind of sort of the Bad Batch, where he's, like, the creepy... Oh, the cult leader thingy. Weirdo, right? Yeah. Like and not a lot of, I feel like a lot of guys in general aren't really rocking long hair. Maybe it's even at just that at that age we can't really rock long hair anymore most of us or something but he can and he and he pulls it off really well and you know yeah if you got it flaunt it oh man in la like that is there's there's a lot of man buns in la my friend <laughs> <laughs> half the 50 year olds <laughs> I'm just glad he's not rocking a ponytail. That's my last word. Oh, well, sure. I mean, he could be, right? He could put his hair in a ponytail, but he's not. And he he knows how to, to keep it uh, long and tight, I guess. 
you know, I love when he shows up to the restaurant and Ali Wong is like, they're both saying how much they miss each other. They, they make out or whatever. And she's just saying, I missed your, this body part, that body part, this body part, that body part. And he just says, I missed your heart, light, soul, spirit, aura, smell. It's like all these like ethereal things that we sort of associate Keanu Reeves with. He's like, he's, he's in on the joke, right? Like, and maybe that's who he actually is. I don't know. But it feels like the sort of transcendental Eastern religion, Eastern philosophy mindset that we sort of associate with him. He's playing on that here and maybe that's how he actually greets the women in this life i don't know but i love that about it that she's like i like i missed your body and he's like i missed the essence of who you are i thought that was really funny sort of putting together like a sense of who he is uh in his everyday life is sort of this not reclusive by any means but you know kind of just kind gentle keeps to himself like this just feels like him with like no filter maybe like pumped up to 11 if he couldn't (laughs) keep himself from from like talking or something i don't know there's something like hilarious just about like what you're saying Joey like just playing into his the perception of his persona maybe because we don't really know exactly right like as much about him I feel as like other celebrities maybe so it's kind of cool like you say like he's in on it and he's leaning into it in ways that you know Cage eventually did too you know he saw like oh there's this internet perception of me like I might as well you know work off that and see if I can do something with it so you know I live in LA and everybody has like a Keanu Reeves story and they're all just like these overwhelmingly like positive interactions you know I had a friend sit next to him once at a concert and he said he was like the coolest guy ever and yes I died of jealousy um (laughs) but I thought it was really interesting how that sort of his role played into that and then really like took a hard turn and leaned away from it because it's like this is Keanu he is basically a saint in Hollywood by all standards and here he is you know maybe not living up to that hype and it's really interesting to me i love it but i think that like goes into you know what you're saying kate about how everybody has a story and they're all like these positive good stories aside from you know like uh the unauthorized journey to success oh my goodness oh i forgot oh kate there's this documentary i don't know if you've heard about this (laughs) i buried mine in a lockbox in the backyard some guy on YouTube created this thing and they put it out on DVD and we did an episode about it and it's, it's like 56 minute sort of expose maybe of Keanu Reeves. I guess. Like, it's this journey through his career and it's like red carpet interviews and TV interviews and narration and thoughts and then there's a stretch in the middle where it basically is like there were all these bad things that happened to Keanu's life. Like his sister got sick or whatever and then his girlfriend died and then 9-11 happened. It's like wait what? Like this documentary no joke. No joke posits that 9-11 was orchestrated essentially to ruin Keanu Reeves' life. And it is wild. And we were just like, wait, what? (laughs) And so not worth paying money for. I think it's on YouTube, but it's like the unauthorized journey to success or something. Just search the bootleg Keanu documentary and look at that because it is amazing. But outside of that, like you were saying, everybody's got good stories about him. And I think that that's what works about this character is because it's so against type. Like he's just an asshole and a douchebag and sort of pretentious and cocky and weird and likable, but unlikable. Like I think he's likable just because of the association that we have with Keanu Reeves. But in this movie, like he's not a good guy. And I think that's what makes it work well, because he's not playing himself. I mean, he's playing himself, but he's not himself. I don't know if he's like that much of a douchebag. Like, I mean, Marcus was definitely like egging him on. I just don't know. I mean, look, he he picked up the check and he did the gentlemanly thing, which is walking away and paying for it and not making a big deal because we all know like nobody at that table could have afforded to pitch in for a $6,000 meal except for maybe Sasha. But he's like a low-key douchebag where he's like, oh, don't worry, it's less than a residual paycheck for my hit movie Speed, verbatim. And it's just like, oh, I, for the record, love that. But if a guy was like, oh, this is basically couch cushion money, like, it's a it's a nice thing to do, but it's also like, oh, God, like, who, who are you trying to impress here? I don't feel like the character Keanu Reeves in this movie is, like, self-aware of being such a douche, right? Like, when we go to his apartment, it's clear to me that we're supposed to think that this guy is like completely full of himself and just it's outrageous and you know over the top and opulent i mean i i I instantly sort of got like this weird vibe off of him in the movie and then but when i figured they were going to play into sort of like 
bad Keanu. I rolled with it because it, you know what it does too? It sort of shows off his acting chops a little bit more, right? Like he talks so much, like he's real animated, like he's super alert in this movie and stuff. And like, you know, and, and some other movies, like he kind of feels a little on autopilot at times or like just doing his thing. And so it was kind of cool, like in a little bit in Destination Wedding, when he's playing against type so hard like this, it's actually quite a good performance. I feel like we're just talking trash about Keanu, but let's not forget, like, Marcus was a total, like, jag-off to him in this movie. Like, he was irritating. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, he's got problems, too. Yeah, he was just, like, from the moment Keanu walked in, he was just egging him on and just, you know, taking shots at him and rolling his eyes. So I don't know if it's, like, Keanu was a jerk or he just got to that point because Marcus just wouldn't lay off of him. I don't know if I could get over the initial shock that first evening of meeting Keanu by surprise like that, like the way that she orchestrated the whole meet. She didn't tell them they were meeting Keanu. He strolls in looking like an angel. You know, he sits down. He's, like, holding court and everything like I I totally wouldn't have I don't know if I would have acted like Marcus I think maybe the next day I would have but that first night I would have just probably been you know dumbstruck or something if Keanu walked in when I was at dinner I would have absolutely no chill about it whatsoever (laughs) yeah I mean Mike how long would it have taken before you said either accidentally or on purpose uh I've seen all of your movies and we have a podcast about you can you just please talk to me okay bye (laughs) like how long because I I feel like it has to come out at some point like you can't not but it's also at what point do you drop like a oh we've seen everything that you've ever done and we're not obsessed with you but we're obsessed with you yeah exactly i mean you don't come right out and say that but you know you see how the evening goes and you know you contain yourself as long as possible that's what you try and do and uh of course it's going to come out and all you can do is just try and not seem like a freak i guess and be polite and calm Yeah, I just, I couldn't get over just how much Marcus was just chip, chip, chipping away at Keanu. Like one, I mean, obviously that's Keanu and I love him, but two, it's just like from a character standpoint, it did him no favors in my book, just from me liking him, you know what I mean? But I feel like in a weird way, it worked because by chipping away at him, he goes home with Ali Wong and that starts their relationship. Like it's this weird, I don't understand, like he out douches Keon. It's just a weird, I don't understand. I don't understand the the social play at at work here, but you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little murky. It's a little sort of quick because I think at times it just needs to sort of like jump a few beats to get where it wants to get. But I definitely saw more of Marcus was definitely upset because this is like the girl of his dreams. And like now he's never going to get her because it's Keanu. But if I think he made of like just it seems like he picked up on something and started picking at that. And then once Keanu sort of retaliated, like his true colors started to come through more and more, it seemed. And it was like, oh, okay. He was just progressively sort sort of not being able to control himself to the point where at the end, like, he challenges, like, Marcus to punch him in the face, if I'm not mistaken, and Marcus, like, obliges him kindly, you know, because, you know, at that point, it seems like he might have deserved it on a, on a level, but, yeah, so it was, it's a very strange sort of game they're playing. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was weird, right? Like, I'm never gonna turn down a Keanu sighting in a movie because I love him, but it just felt like it was just... It was so rushed and that payoff wasn't earned. It just felt like Keanu's there to serve as a roadblock for Sasha and Marcus and not because he was aiding the story at all. It's like he was just there to be that roadblock. So I wanted more, but at the same time, I wanted whatever happened to be earned. And I just didn't necessarily think he was that big of a D-bag given the circumstances. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I could have used the entire movie being about Keanu being, you know, if he was introduced in the first 15 minutes as her only new boyfriend, like her rebound guy, and then like he was in there much longer and it was getting more serious and... You know, it seemed like they were never going to get together because of Keanu. Um, And then, you know, they could have built this a little better slowly over the course of the movie. I just, it's a little weird that to some degree, it kind of feels like the movie stops and it's like, all right, here's like a short film with these characters where they run into Keanu and now back to the movie. Yeah, you know, I I feel like a lot of like, I don't want to say problem, but maybe issue with this movie is that a lot of things just felt sort of like there as plot devices and it didn't feel like earned. You know what I mean? Like we're told Marcus is like this great musician, but like he doesn't really try at it. 
and it, it, it's weird, right? Like we clearly prove that Sasha's a great chef. Like we see her food, we see her successful restaurants, but then it, it's just, it's bizarre. And a lot of this felt like plot device instead of, you know, actual narrative growth, if you will. No, I get that. And I want to I, I want to bring up, you mentioned this band, like I thought the joke in this movie was going to be that they were terrible, but like, I think they're cool. Like, I don't know if that's the kind of music that I would want to listen to, but it feels like in this world, they're like great. And it feels like they're struggling just because he's kind of a weirdo in his own head. But there's a lot of things that I felt like this movie, there were paths this movie could have taken for either the obvious joke or something brand new. And they kind of split the difference and never really went one way or the other. And I felt like that was a weird choice to make in a sense that they have his band who it starts off and I'm like, oh God, this is terrible. And then he just takes the microphone and he walks away and starts like rapping and it's cool. And the club is into it. And, you know, Ali Wong's into it. Michelle Balloon is into it. And everyone's like kind of vibing and kind of feeling it. And that's weird because like, it, it's just like, he's just not motivated. And that's the whole thing holding them back and holding him back. Yeah. Because it feels like he is in a sense on her level. He just chooses not to be. And I feel like that's a weird kind of character that you can't quite root for, but also don't really want to root against. Like, it's this weird middle ground where I feel like just commit one way or the other. And I don't know why we're trying to thread the needle of both. Yeah, it's tough. Like, their worlds kind of just seem too far apart to a degree for me uh, in this movie. Like, they just, you know, I understand, like, they were childhood friends and they come back in to contact later in life you know just like sort of out of the blue or run into each other uh, but I mean I was thinking about like the musical stuff how much more that could have been developed if what if he was as successful as she was and he was the musician and she was this world famous chef and they had like these dueling successes and careers that they had to manage while trying to be together and she's dating Keanu and maybe he's dating J-Lo or something who knows right like there's just more of that on the same level sort of dealing with problems might have gone down a little easier because this the divide here not that it's not realistic or can't happen or anything but again just for like a rom-com i was expecting something different than this like it did just take me out of it a little bit how average the guy in this movie was but that's totally fine i I accept it it's it's cool for what it is yeah I think I said it already today, but I really felt like it was a rom-com for people who, you know, like maybe don't like rom-coms and they wanted to make it more grounded in reality. So it felt felt more true to life, but it just, it just, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I see that maybe they could have thought we'll throw this in here for people who are more fans of the conventional rom-coms. This, they'll get this sort of middle break from uh, from whatever else we're trying to do here. I, it did feel like that, didn't it? it? For me, and again, I really went into this wanting to love this. One, I like rom-coms. Two, I love Keanu. And it just never really gelled for me. To me, it never really understood what it wanted to do and what it wanted to say. Like, it wanted to be a rom-com, but at the same time, it wanted to be the anti-rom-com and just sort of came off as meh, you know, at the end of the day for me, which was disappointing because I really, really, really wanted to love it. Is there anything else that we want to talk about with regards to Keanu or to this movie? Is there anything else that we want to? Because he's only on screen maybe for, what, 15 minutes probably? Like, there's the two scenes, right? There's the one at the restaurant, and then the one where they play, what does he call it, Icebreaker. It's like truth or dare, but more apocalyptic. It's kind of like, I guess the rules are you pull the question out, and you don't have to answer it, and everyone else does, I guess? Yeah, that game, man. Like, let, okay, let's be real here for a second. Like, if you had to pick to kill anybody in that room, like, you're gonna pick Marcus. Like, no one's gonna pick Keanu, right? <laughs> I know I keep banging this drum, so, like, is Keanu really the jerk face here, right? Because, like, everyone's gonna pick Marcus. Come on! Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Marcus would pick himself. <laughs> I mean, look, is it a nice game to play? No, but is anybody going to be surprised at the outcome here? No, no one's going to be surprised at that. Yeah, like, he gets offended when his girlfriend says, like, she want to kill Marcus too, but, like, who else would she want to, not, like, she's not going to kill Keanu. She's not going to kill herself. She's not going to kill the beautiful Ali Wong. Like, of course it's Marcus. Like, I understand that they're in a relationship, but still, he's the right answer. He's the answer to that question. I mean, Jenny sort of pointed it out that, you know, Marcus kind of has the least amount to offer, you know, humanity. So awkward. True. Do you think that Jenny, the the girlfriend, the dreadlocked girlfriend, winds up with Keanu because she stays at their place, like calls an Uber pool? Do you think that maybe they're on a weird, like hippy dippy relationship? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. That is like a no brainer. 100 percent. Yes. 
I have a weird question. I don't know. I don't think this was him, but maybe. Was the guy in the Uber pool with him, was that Udo Kier? Because he's not credited. He's not credited, but, like, it's just, like, this old, bald, white guy. And I was like, it kind of looks like Udo Kier. He has sort of a thick accent, if you it was a, It was a little bit of an accent, but I couldn't tell. And I was okay, because like, him and Keanu have crossed paths several times, you know? Like, my own private Idaho, for sure. They were in that together. That's true. I don't know. He just had, like, a bag, and he had, like, the classic baguette sticking out the top of the grocery bag to show that it is groceries in there. I did spot a cameo that I don't think anybody uh, else is going to identify or anything. But uh, in the background, outside of the club, when Marcus is talking, to Ali Wong's character at one point. Behind him, you can clearly see DJ Qbert having a conversation with someone in the background who is like a um, pretty world famous DJ from the Bay Area, uh, Invisible Scratch Pickles and, and all that. So that was really cool. I was like, hey, Qbert. I just had to look him up while you were talking, and I don't think I ever would have picked him out of a lineup. That's a deep cut. Wait, Mike, say the name again? DJ Qbert, as in like the video game character. Q-Bert? Yeah, I've heard yeah. of him. I, I just don't, you know. Yeah, it's not something that I would ever have noticed or recognized or thought of. But the only other thing that I have is that there was this interview. There's a thing on I think Vanity Fair where it's Ali Wong and the director of this movie uh, describe how Keanu Reeves basically came to be in the movie uh, because it's sort of a weird, like it kind of feels like a home run swing that connected, right? Like it just seems like how would these people, the director Nanachka Khan who has directed nothing else. She's got another movie coming out, I think. Or maybe this is a short? I don't know. There's nothing even... There's no info about it on, on Letterboxd. It's something called White Girl Problems. Like this, I think this is like her first film. She was the one who did Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23. I think she was the showrunner for that and a few others that I can't recall right now. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. Okay. So I was just... I was in the wrong sort of... I should have looked on IMDb. My apologies. Anyway... I had read that and I forgot that. I forgot because I was just looking at her like directorial credits, like, at least in terms of features, and it wasn't there. It kind of feels like they took a swing and it just sort of worked out. But mm-hmm. Keanu apparently had four days in between shooting two big chunks of John Wick. And so they were able to sort of line it up and shoot it in San Francisco with them. But there was a list of people that they wanted to have in that part of He Said No. And they were all sort of of Asian descent. Like there was Hong Kong actor Tony Lung, Mark Dacascos from John Wick 3, M. Night Shyamalan, and then Randall Park thought Paul Giamatti would be funny, but Ali Wong was like, no, I need this, I really want this to be an Asian person that isn't necessarily, maybe not necessarily thought of as Asian, because he's, she said that if Daniel Day Kim had shown up in the restaurant, he'd be like, oh, I get it. Like, he's like a successful, handsome Asian dude. But the fact that Keanu is Asian, but doesn't necessarily... It's not obvious, right? No, I know. You just have to say it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I'm entering murky waters with my, wa- my words here, but like, that's the whole point. Like, she want, like, she thought that was important to have someone that, like, he would be intimidated by who wasn't the classic type of person that you would assume that she would be dating. And so there was this whole, like, sort of back and forth, but Keanu loved the script, and he said that he loved Ali Wong's stand-up comedy, and he said he would be honored to be a part of this love story. And then the director said, and this is one of my favorite quotes, and Mike, this is especially poignant to me, and also, Kate, you will be soon in the fold, too, but the director says, God knows what I had in terms of food, when they had this meal with Keanu to sort of talk about the script. But we all remembered what Keanu ordered. He ordered a Corona, shout out Fast and Furious, and the Mixed Nuts. I think I'll always remember that until my dying day. The Mixed Nuts. Excellent. Uh, Mixed Nuts are pretty good, though. But yeah, Corona, because there's the rumor, who knows if it's true or not, that he's in Hobbs and Shaw to some extent. Who knows if that's true? Please let it be true. But Corona... Hashtag family. Thank you, Keanu. But yeah, I think that's like a cool, like he's kind of the dream guest or the dream the dream get, even though he wouldn't necessarily like the casual onlooker white might not understand why, but in Ali Wong's world, it makes perfect total sense. And I love that. And it worked out. And I think it's great. That's that's awesome. And, you know, I think it, it's going to get more people to check out this movie for sure, for one. And the other thing is, like, you know, he could have just rested between filming John Wick 3. And I saw that movie. It's fucking incredible. Like, the action in that is insane. And it's like, I was exhausted. Uh, like, I was happy. Don't get me wrong. I was entertained. But just watching it, I was out of breath. Like, dude flies across country and then just, like, shoots, like, part of another movie and goes back and finishes up John Wick. Like, what a pro. Like, that's just great. I love hearing stuff like that. Like, a shooting a movie while I'm shooting a movie. Yeah. Okay, so guys, I have to admit, I was really hungover when I saw this. Like, really hungover. Like, comatose on my couch hungover. So... <laughs> Anyway, the food was just amazing. Like, we have to talk about the food, right? Even at the hoity-toity obnoxious place, the food just looked good. So I was hungover on my couch, and I actually had to stop um, and order 
Korean takeout because it was torture to be watching this on screen and not have something equally delicious in my hands while I was nursing my horrible hangover. Yeah, I've always wanted to try like that kind of stuff, like, you know, eating my drink. The gastronomy or whatever? Yeah, like, here, eat your martini. So I don't know, like, that, that scene was pretty cool. I hope Foodie Films tackles this soon. Oh, it was total food porn. It was, and what I loved about it is that it sort of ran the gamut, that we saw all different types of cuisine, um, and it all just looked so good. So good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because even one of the first notes that I took was when we jumped to modern day and we the, we smash cut to her restaurant and there's like a 45 second or a minute or two shot of just them cooking food in the kitchen. And like, it just looks incredible. Like it's food porn just to sort of establish like she's great, she's famous and she makes killer looking food. And I'm like, oh, God, like I'm hungry now. This movie does a good job in terms of that. And maybe again, this is what Kyle could cover on his show, but they have the elegant, you know, what? Randall Park makes fun of later the the elevated Asian cuisine or whatever. But they also go to that sort of diner-looking place that's just like essentially takeout, and that's great too. And there's they're really showing the, the scale of, I guess it's also sort of his world versus her world or whatever, but all the food on both levels looks delicious. And yes, I want food, please. Yeah, I really, uh, like, I got this idea in my head from the beginning when you know she goes over to his house as a little kid all the time and eats dinner and the mom is sort of showing her you know all these dishes from uh, her family heritage and all that kind of stuff I, I thought that was gonna play in a lot more but it comes back I'm glad it at least came back at the end right where she's like hey I opened up these other restaurants or this other side of my restaurant is for sort of all those dishes that your mom used to cook for me when I was a kid. Uh, I wish maybe they just dove a little deeper into their heritage and everything like that throughout the movie. It kind of just becomes like, I don't want to say at one point, like anyone could have, you know, been cast in this movie for like, you know, maybe 40 minute stretch of this. But like, I just was sort of expecting it to uh, go a little deeper into that kind of stuff, but I'm definitely glad that it, it came back in the end. And I also feel like, and this is not exactly but what you said, it inspired me to th- or reminded me of this, but this movie kind of briefly, briefly touches on something that does not, they, don't, they do not go into any depth about, which is a criticism I also heard of Booksmart, which I think is valid too, in that Ali Wong essentially raised herself, that we see her in the beginning of the movie cooking for herself, and then, you know, joining Randall Park's family and going from there, and then later in the movie, when she's talking about family, and Randall Park's like, you had a mom and dad, she's like, no, I didn't. And I feel like that is another thing that's sort of, like, quickly brushed aside. Like, that feels like a whole thing that was important to her character that was never fully fleshed out, and... In Booksmart, and we talked about this on High School Slumber Party, because I was reading from Alison Wilmore's thing on BuzzFeed, you know, Molly's character, the, the Beanie Feldstein character, like, we never see her parents, that there's a clear class disparity between her and everyone else, and it feels important to who she is and why she is the way she is, but we don't dive into that. And I know you sort of can't tackle all of that, but it feels like the way that this movie framed things, both with the intro and then her very pointedly at the end saying, I didn't have a mom and dad, even though she did, it feels like the movie wants to talk about that, but doesn't you know I don't I don't know why that sort of came up short I had a hard time with the way her parents were portrayed and I understand that there may be a nuance there to just sort of her culture that I'm not picking up on but it just her parents didn't seem that bad they seemed like they were always working and trying to provide a better life for her and it just I didn't understand how this got painted as such a bad thing when parents have to work I mean they lived in the Bay Area it's gonna be expensive they had their own business that's the American dream so I I just felt like she was just too hard on them and they were just portrayed really just oddly I agree with you and I feel like her mom and dad are just sort of there to be kind of stereotypes of like like Asians don't like to tip which feels like a weird kind of like I don't know like I didn't think that was funny like not because I thought it was insensitive I just didn't think it was funny and like that's like a kind of a through line it just feels like that should have been developed more and like there's the cousin's kid the, the party and everything like that and it just it feels like that whole thing is kind of lacking and that's sort of the love of one family or I don't know it just feels like there was not enough again maybe threading the needle right like where it's like we don't want to dive too deeply into this but we also want to make sure we don't skip it all together and I don't know you guys there's one thing we haven't talked about yet which was it was kind of my favorite scene and it's Kiana related um, when Marcus goes to Tom Ford and in like this weird desperate attempt to emulate him he's like give me Keanu's suit and then he freaks out and it's like what is it like eight thousand dollars no it's twelve thousand dollars it's even more than that it's like he spits the champagne all over the the mirror it is I mean it's a good looking suit but again twelve thousand dollars and then I like that you know Marcus goes to the discount 
suit store and gets a $200 suit that he can use for, you know, his entry-level job interview or a graduation or whatever. So I thought that was pretty... There's funny things in here. It's just... I don't know. I, I kind of wish that it had committed one way or the other, I guess. But, uh... Okay, is there anything else any other points about this movie that you think we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Or are we good to move on and look ahead to future episodes? I feel bad because I feel like we're doing... Well, I'm doing a disservice to this movie. It was fine. It was fine. You know what I mean? Like, I just... I had higher expectations and they weren't met. But... I was hung over on the couch and it was a perfectly like good way to watch a movie and like look at some delicious food on screen and see Keanu and other really attractive people doing, you know, attractive people things, you know? I just I just wanted more. I mean, the good thing to point out is that if you don't know, if you've somehow listened to 45, 50 minutes or whatever of this podcast and you don't know already, you haven't seen the movie already, it's on Netflix. Like, it's a Netflix original. You can go see it for free as long as you have Netflix or Netflix login. Like, it's just out there. Like, it's readily available, easily accessible. It's relatively short. It's easy. It's palatable to get through. It's not bad. If you're sort of on the fence about it and, you know, our review or whatever this podcast didn't necessarily sway you one way or the other give it a shot like there are definitely by far my worst Keanu movies like there is there's a lot worse out there it's not the watcher by any means no it's not it's not a lot of things by any means Kate said it right like you know watch this hungover and then it'll get you give you an appetite so that you get some food in you and then by the time it's done you know maybe you'll be ready to like go out and do something yeah like it's it's a fine movie. I just think that we all, like, our expe- expectations weren't necessarily met, but it wasn't a bad movie by any small stretch of the imagination. You know, it's it's a nice movie. I just, I, I wanted more, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. You know what I mean? I would agree with that. But also, in a year where there are four Keanu movies, this is probably, I mean, that we, I don't think, none of us have seen, unless, Kate, you have some advanced early copy, none of us have seen Toy Story 4 yet, but I feel like, knowing what we know, this will firmly be wedged into that three spot in terms of Keanu. Like, it's not as bad as the replicas, but it's not John Wick and it's not Toy Story, so. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, oh wait, we're out of the year of Siberia, right? Because it's way above Siberia. Yes, that, that was last that, year. That was last that year, was, okay, whew. good. Yeah, I mean, I just I just want to stress because this is such a like groundbreaking movie for other things that I think it's good, right? And there's no such thing as a bad Keanu movie as far as this choice goes. Like you you would be well serviced to watch this, you know, in your free time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I always felt like at least through a bad Keanu movie, I could sort of, well, for the most part, he's always good. At least nowadays, he's my favorite part of his movies. But like, while we were doing the podcast, there are a couple in the middle where like, maybe he wasn't working. But for sure now, it, like, yeah, he's, uh, he's on a roll. Oh, yeah. We're, you want to talk bad Keanu movies? I saw that one. Uh, I think it was called Up All Night with Aunt Becky, where she was sold basically into human trafficking. So there are there are much worse Keanu movies out there, believe me. <laughs> oh, Aunt Becky, what, what? How how far you have fallen? I do feel like, and I just, maybe this is just because uh, Joe, too, and I recorded our Beach Bum episode of Zack Attack this morning, and I got Zeph on the brain. I feel like Zeph and Keanu are both, well, aside from the fact that they are our two most popular podcasts because the internet is in love with both of those juicy boys, uh, to use Joe 2's word, I feel like they're both in a place where they don't need to be the lead in a movie, at least right now. Like, they both have proven that they can be, but Keanu, that we've talked about on both these podcasts, on both Keanu Club and Zack Attack, that Keanu recently, like in The Bad Batch, in The Neon Demon, in this movie, is willing to kind of take a back seat and be like a weird, cool, funny, quirky side character, just like Zeph is in The Beach Bum. And I feel like this transition where we haven't seen it with Cage, and we've talked about this again before, Mike, where it's like he still, and I think like John Cusack, knows that he's a leading man, wants to be a leading man, and would rather be a leading man in a bad movie than be like a side character, like a Snowden-type role in a bigger movie that's a little bit better. Not that Snowden is great. It got a theatrical release. did, and we saw that together, and we saw that live-streamed Q&A, that weird thing afterwards. But I feel like maybe not the world would be a better place, but the podcast that we would do would be a better place would be more enjoyable to watch and more enjoyable to do if more actors followed in the Keanu and Zeph footsteps of like yeah I'll take this weirdo smaller part because it's with the director I like it's in a cool role it's whatever as opposed to like yeah 211 I'm a cop let's go do this thing you know I just I just wish that more people had that kind of decision making process I mean I think Nicolas Cage just takes anything uh, that will pay him. And I think the reason why he does leading man stuff is because those roles probably pay more. And he's got like, what, 
three like ex-wives he has to deal with like that doesn't come cheap is it three or is it four well i think the last one was annulled after four days right three or four but yes 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 like okay four ex-wives like he's got to take whatever is going to give him the largest part and pay those bills the most that's probably leading man status i mean Nicolas Cage is broke, right? Like, he's just, I think he spent his money as fast as he's earned it. So I think that, like, who knows? Like, Nicolas Cage's accountant must be probably, like, some weird shaman he can only consult at the full moon. You know what I mean? Like, he keeps buying stupid haunted mansions, so he has to keep taking these, like, leading man roles. I guess, but still, like, are you getting paid that much to be the lead in a straight-to-VOD movie that is bad? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know the finances of Hollywood. That's, that's subjective. I mean, there's a couple that are, yes, they're terrible, but others, um, there's so much value. Oh, no, I know that, I know that they're not all bad, but I'm just saying, I'm just looking at, like, 211 versus, like, this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I just think he likes to work, that he wants to keep working and stay busy and keep moving, and that's Then do, like, 12 of this as opposed to two of that. I don't, I don't know. If you compare that to Keanu, like, Keanu seems like he lives a pretty, like, normal, low-key life. You never hear about Keanu buying a haunted mansion on a deserted island, you know what I mean? Like, Keanu seems like he's a pretty steady Eddie as far as his finances go. From what I could tell, he's had the same pair of shoes for 30 years. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of Keanu Club. Again, this is kind of the year of Keanu. There's going to be two more episodes this year, but we were so glad that we could bring you into the fold here, that you have traveled from Brian's podcast to ours, and then eventually you will be on Too Fast, Too Forever and maybe other shows. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time out of your schedule, your very busy writing schedule, your media consumptive life, just like Mike and mine, to talk to us about this movie. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure. Anytime you get to talk about Keanu with awesome like-minded people it is a good day so thank you so much for having me and like she said at the top go check out pajiba to go check out all of her writing to find everything that she's done what is there is there like an entry point or like what's what's your favorite thing that you've written if there's one piece that sort of sums you up as like a writer or a person is there a specific thing that you've written that you should direct people to or should they just sort of explore on their own yeah um (laughs) probably my the piece i'm proudest of at this point is i wrote Um, an article entitled Con Air is Better Than Citizen Kane. (laughs) Ooh, Ooh, I like the sound of that. I actually just, you know, when I recorded our Jupiter Sending episode of The Contenders with Tobin and Aislinn, um, I have have a couple pop vinyls and I had the Jupiter in her wedding dress and it's just on my shelf next to Citizen Kane and I just sent a picture of that to the two of them via text and I said, you know, one of the few films that rival Citizen Kane. They, they did not react well to that, I can tell you that much. Of the three of those movies, only one is about convicts overtaking a plane, I'm just saying, and it's amazing. I mean, I would rather watch, like, you know, dumb, fun movies, too, and there's plenty of those out there. I also haven't seen... I've seen Citizen Kane maybe once. I've seen Jupiter Sending and Con Air both many more times than I've seen Citizen Kane, so... All I'm saying is, you would definitely want to rewatch Jupiter Ascending a lot more than Citizen Kane, so what's the better movie there, guys? <laughs> Well, for all things Keanu Club, like Mike said at the top of the episode, there are 78 of these episodes right now. You can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, mailbag at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page and our Threadless store. And come back later this year for a couple more episodes. Who knows what, who knows when, coming up sometime soon-ish. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manson. Hello. And that was Kate Hudson. And we'll see you next time, sometime later this year, right here on Keanu Club. Best believe I punched Keanu Reeves and it was better than any scene you could see in speed. I hit John Wick and now I'm feeling so appealing. Basically, I'm a god. You could call me Hercules. Best believe I punched Keanu Reeves and it was better than any scene you could see in speed. I'm telling you for real, I punched Neo. He could duck bullets, but he couldn't duck me. Well, this has been an unfortunate turn of events.